0: You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Another day, another Locked On Kings podcast as we continue our 2019-2020 performance evaluations as well as the continuation of the best games in Sacramento Kings history. With an asterisk from 2010 all the way up to today, May 7th. 2020. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Locked On Kings podcast. Your hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season, all off season. If you're looking for in depth analysis, game by game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of your Sacramento Kings from January through December. Yes, that includes during a quarantine that has completely shut down the NBA season. This is the place for you. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and presented to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. I'll tell you a little bit more about them later on in the show. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I've been a Sacramento sports radio host for over the last five years. This is my sixth season covering the Kings, or it was my sixth season covering the Kings as an on-air host and a multimedia journalist and reporter. Last time on the Locked on Kings podcast performance evaluations, we talked about Harrison Barnes, and he's kind of been a controversial piece for the Sacramento Kings. got a lot of great responses uh, to that podcast. A lot of you agreeing with me that overall... Harrison hasn't been disappointing, he hasn't been fantastic, but he's fine considering the price uh, that the Kings paid for him, but there's also a lot of you out there that don't like how much money still the Kings gave Harrison Barnes and expect him to provide more and do more consistently on a nightly basis for the Kings on both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively, if he's going to live up to that high contract that he cost the Sacramento Kings. That has been a debate that has been ongoing throughout this entire season, as well as the debate on how good of a backup point guard is Corey Joseph. So I thought Corey Joseph would be the right pick for this player evaluation today. And as a quick reminder, the Kings last summer signed Joseph to a three-year, $37 million contract to become that consistent backup point guard behind De'Aaron Fox. So first off, let's establish what our honest expectations were for Joseph at the beginning of the season when he signed that contract and what they are now. Have they changed, really? I'll share mine. Think about yours. Maybe you can share yours with me later on Twitter, at MattGeorgeKHDK, or email them to me, mgeorgeatsacklocalmedia.com. But, my expectations for Corey Joseph for this come in be a solid perimeter defender that the Kings have not had for a long period of time and when De'Aaron Fox exits the game don't have there be a steep drop-off of offensive production and especially pace and speed now I'm going to put a little asterisk near there because overall my expectations for Corey Joseph have changed in that category if I'm looking at it honestly today because we've seen that Joseph is a little bit better offensively in half-court offensive sets when he can be a slow-it-down floor general versus De'Aaron Fox, who's capable of running half-court offense, but as we know, he likes to use that speed to get up and down the floor. As we know, pace as a whole has dropped off significantly from last season to this season. Corey Joseph, of course, has something to do with that. He is the backup point guard. He is the floor general and De'Aaron Fox is out of the game. And of course he started in 22 games this season when De'Aaron Fox went down with injury and during that stretch, even though the Kings had success, they were more known as a slow it down half court offensive team rather than a team that gets up and down the floor. So Corey is somewhat responsible for that. But of course, new head coach Luke Walton comes in and changes the philosophy a little bit from what Dave Yeager was doing the season before. And that's the major reason for the drop-off of pace for the Kings this year. So having that context now, I know that my expectations for Corey Joseph have changed, but not just because of how Corey Joseph has played, but how the Kings have flipped their philosophy overall. So yes, the Kings are playing slower than they did last season, and Corey Joseph is not the right backup point guard in a fast-paced style. But for the way the Kings have played, albeit inconsistently this year, but for the way the Kings have tried to play, especially over the last month before the season ended, I think Corey Joseph has been the right fit as that backup point guard in Sacramento. So I'll just flat out lay out my expectations for Corey Joseph right now. Come in, be a solid perimeter defender, that hasn't changed, back up De'Aaron Fox, and just be competent. Make sure there's not an overall drop-off of efficiency for the Kings, and that's on both ends of the floor when De'Aaron Fox comes out of the game. Now that's very difficult to do for a player, and that's a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders when you are backing up the star. Those are major shoes to fill, even if the star isn't hurt. So with those expectations in mind, let's jump into the numbers and then we'll look at the eye test for Corey Joseph, starting with statistics. Last season with the Indiana Pacers, Joseph averaged 6.5 points, shot 41% from the field, 32% from three-point range, 69% from free throw, 3.4 rebounds, 3.9 assists, and 1.1 steals per game in Indiana. This season, in Sacramento, his points are at 6.3, so a very, very, very small drop-off. His shooting percentage is up 1% to 42%. His three-point shooting percentage is up from 32% to 35%. Free throw shooting percentage up to 82%. Rebounds 2.5 a game, assists down 3.4 a game, and steals also down to 0.7. So from last season to this season, Joseph's points, rebounds, assists, and steals are all slightly down. However, so is his playing time. He played a little over 25 minutes a game with Indiana. He's playing around 24 minutes a game for Sacramento. Also not a steep drop off there. One definite positive is the fact that his three-point shooting percentage is up from 32 to 35. Still not great, but better, although we know Corey Joseph isn't supposed to be and really known to be a three-point shooter. And it's difficult to be a point guard in today's NBA and not have a consistent outside shot. So at least it has improved in some sense. But I don't really put too much weight into that. I do put a lot of weight into his free throw shooting as Corey Joseph's free throw attempts per game have gone up this year and his percentage has skyrocketed from 69% to 82%. Now Joseph isn't known for getting to the line and he's not always going to aggressively attack the basket, but the fact that he has taken those opportunities from the charity stripe to improve, especially with the amount of time he got backing up De'Aaron Fox and starting for De'Aaron Fox when he was out with injury, that's solid improvement and that's something we have to point out and appreciate but I think we will all agree that our primary expectations for Joseph this year We're on the defensive end of the floor. So let's look at some very specific defensive numbers. His defensive rating this season 107.6. Remember, the higher it is, the worse it is. You want a lower defensive rating. So not the best there. It's actually lower on the Kings than Kent Bazemore, which doesn't really surprise me. Yogi Ferrell and Justin James. Now, Yogi Ferrell does surprise me because that's been a a peak debate this year when De'Aaron Fox is healthy. Should the Kings elect to actually give Yogi Ferrell the majority of the backup point guard playing time because he's more of a fast-paced, offensive-minded guard that can play to a similar style that De'Aaron Fox plays versus Corey Joseph, who comes in offensively, plays a different style, but is more solid on the defensive end of the floor. It surprised me to see that Yogi Ferrell had a better defensive rating than Corey Joseph, which is certainly something you can use to be critical of Corey Joseph. However, keep in mind that the sample size for Yogi Ferrell is significantly smaller. And on top of that, a lot of the minutes Yogi Ferrell was getting was at the two guard position, not the point guard position. We saw Yogi play alongside Fox at times. We saw Yogi play alongside Corey Joseph at times. So that's just something to keep in mind. As for Justin James, I was a little surprised that his defensive rating was better than Joseph's. Again, Justin is guarding two guards, not point guards. But I was also a fan of Justin James and thought he deserved more playing time than what he got from Walton. But back to Joseph, a 107.6 defensive rating is 11th best amongst bench guards who play 20-plus minutes. Some notable players that are ahead of him there, Mark L. Foltz, Marcus Smart, George Hill, and Tim Hardaway Jr. What is concerning to me is all four of those guards, plus a couple other of the names that were ahead of Joseph, they're all offensively better than Joseph is as well. So what does that say overall? To me, that says that Corey Joseph is replaceable defensively and we already know offensively. The Kings can get a Corey Joseph type player, a perimeter defender that also is more efficient on the offensive end of the floor. On top of that, the guy that he is backing up in De'Aaron Fox, of course we expect better offensive numbers from De'Aaron Fox, but we expected Corey Joseph to be a better perimeter defender than Fox. And for the most part, he was. However, the gap is not that significant between the two, which is encouraging to me that De'Aaron has improved as a defender. We know when Fox is locked in, he can be a very pesky defender and can shut down opposing guards. But with the amount of money that the Kings paid Joseph and the amount that we heard about Joseph being this lockdown perimeter defender, I would expect that gap to be bigger in order for Joseph to maintain his importance in the rotation. So those are some of the numbers which aren't too friendly for Joseph's case. But now let's look at the eye test, which I think is really on his side. And watching Corey Joseph play this year, that's where I saw a lot of the things that Joseph does that aren't necessarily recorded on a stat sheet, and I love box scores. I'm a numbers nerd, just like a lot of people out there, but there's a reason why games aren't played on paper. They're actually played on the floor. You can't mark everything important that you see on a basketball floor down in a stat column. And Joseph, to me, brings a lot of those important aspects. First off, he has been a more than competent option as a backup point guard, which is really crucial to have for a young team with a young star at that position. He stepped up and did well when De'Aaron Fox went down with injury. It was one of the stretches this year where the Kings were at their best. I certainly didn't expect that. Joseph is a major reason for that. He has directly impacted the ends of games with his defense resulting in Kings wins. And he's done that a number of times this year. The one that jumps to mind most is when the Kings beat the Boston Celtics here in Sacramento. It was Corey Joseph on the floor guarding Kemba Walker, and Walker couldn't get a good shot off to save his life. In fact, Walker had to give up the ball to Marcus Smart for the game winner. That's directly because of Corey Joseph, and he's had a handful of moments like that this season. Even if it wasn't the last shot, fourth quarter-wise, trying to get a stop, trying to lock someone down, Corey Joseph was the guy for Sacramento, was the guy Luke Walton went to and there were plenty of moments where he stepped up. To me, my personal eye test, his offense was as expected. However, he did disappear at times. There were a couple moments where teams were not afraid of the ball being kicked out to him, so Joseph's defender could give him space and help out on others that the Kings really didn't take advantage of. And, as we saw, Joseph ran more of a slow half-court offense compared to De'Aaron Fox, which I think might be a problem when this team is completely healthy. Joseph did show at times the capability of being able to play off the ball in defensive lineups. There obviously is an offensive drop off when they do that. But we did see Fox and Joseph playing together. And when Fox is dialed in defensively, Corey Joseph moves over to guard the shooting guard. The Kings can have a pretty significant and aggressive defensive backcourt in those sets. That shows the versatility of Corey Joseph. And finally, as the stats show, and honestly the eye test showed, Corey Joseph is not that much better defensively than De'Aaron Fox, which, like I said, is both a positive and a negative. It's a positive in the sense that De'Aaron Fox is improving as a defender, but it's a negative because the Kings paid Corey Joseph to be primarily a perimeter defender, and he's just barely better than Fox there. And we know how significantly better Fox is offensively. So overall, to me, Joseph has been what I expected him to be as a king. He has made major defensive plays to help the Kings win games, which I have loved, but he's also fallen into the low defensive intensity rut in Sacramento that we see with a lot of players too often. I wish that Joseph consistently uh, would provide that lockdown defense. For the most part, he has, but there were times that he, like everybody, disappeared. And also, it's it's kind of hard to hold players to the expectation of playing lockdown on defense, full effort on defense, all 82 games. There are very few in the league that have done that over the last 10 years. First name that jumps to mind, honestly, to me, is a guy like Tony Allen, which if Corey Joseph could be the Tony Allen of the Sacramento Kings, uh, he is more than worth the money that they paid, but he is definitely not at that point yet. I personally still prefer him over Yogi Ferrell because he is more well-rounded, but Joseph is highly replaceable. Like I said, there were 10 other guards uh, that were better defensively than Corey Joseph coming off the bench playing 20-plus minutes a game, and the majority of them were also better offensively. So Corey Joseph can be replaced. My final thought is that Fox should easily be better on both ends of the floor. But in this case, I'm really talking about defensively than Joseph is by next season. Let me know if you agree. Am at George H D K on Twitter, I'm George at SacLocalmedia.com. Send me your performance evaluation of Corey Joseph. Are you happy with what he's done? Are you happy with the Kings uh, paying him that money over three years during the summertime? Do you like him still uh, as a fit with this Kings team going forward? I'm fine with him being around next season. I also wouldn't be shocked if the Kings try to move him and replace him with someone a little bit better. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever built bars are tasty it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar 16 amazing flavors eight chocolate nut flavors and eight chocolate nut free flavors the bars are covered in hundred percent chocolate they are soft and easy to chew i shared this last time i'm really not a protein bar guy although looking at me i probably should be eating multiple protein bars a day however they sent us a box of these bars for us just to try them out and immediately we Blew through that box. My wife and I were munching on them as much as we could. We immediately had to order more. And now I can officially say I found a protein bar that I love. Check this out, though. These Built Bars are incredibly healthy. They're great for the health-conscious guy or girl. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, but high-protein and high-fiber. Let me give you an example. A flavor profile here for peanut butter brownie. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. How about another one? Mint brownie, 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Now, how many of you have had some kind of bar or snack that says it's flavored like something, but it isn't really, it's just maybe close? I'm telling you, mint brownie is what you get when you have a mint brownie built bar. Peanut butter brownie is what you get when you have a peanut butter brownie built bar. It tastes exactly as advertised. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, L O C K E D O N, and you'll get $10 off of your first order. Promo code LOCKEDON, L O C K E D O N, all one word, for $10 off at builtbar.com. It is time for my best Sacramento Kings game from the 2011-2012 season. Why so specific? Well, the Locked On Podcast Network right now, all the local podcasts for all NBA teams, are doing the best games in their team's history. However, I wanted to simplify it a little bit. I wanted to make it a little more specific. I wanted to look at the best games of each season this entire decade, from 2010 to 2020, because to me... Even though it was a very difficult decade, a lot of losing, no playoffs for Sacramento, there were some fun moments and great games mixed in that I wanted to highlight. And today's game is one of my favorite games that I ever attended as a Kings fan. February 9th, 2012, I was a senior in high school, about to graduate and move on to college, and I'd spent most of my money that season going to every single Kings game that I could because I did not know how many more seasons of Kings basketball we would have left in Sacramento. This was right at the height of the Kings to Seattle relocation talks, and it was seeming more and more likely that a deal was going to get done and that the Kings were going to leave. So the Kings put on a special promotion game called Black Thursday, where they wanted to sell out Power Balance Pavilion, a.k.a. Arco Arena, a.k.a. Sleep Train Arena, and show the rest of the world that the Sacramento fan base was still loud and proud and would come and show out for their team. This game was a nationally televised game on TNT, and on top of that, it was against the best team in the Western Conference, the Oklahoma City Thunder. This was the season that the Thunder made it all the way to the NBA Finals, but lost to LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and the Miami Heat. So I remember my buddies and I, we got tickets to this game. We sat in the lower bowl behind one of the baskets, and we dressed head-to-toe in black. I wore an all black suit with a purple tie and I wore a purple bandana around my head. I was a moron because by the end of the first quarter I was sweating buckets. But it's one of my favorite games that I've ever been to. The passion on full display that night even before the game began, the willingness of that entire arena, 17,000 plus fans to pile in there and fight and scream and prove to the rest of the world that Sacramento was still the best place for the Kings to be, that was the feeling Go Going into that building, it was a playoff atmosphere because we felt that it was a playoff game between the city of Sacramento and the city of Seattle. And turns out it kind of was. The fans took the opportunity to show the national audience that they are still present, that they are loud and dedicated, despite the relocation rumors and the lack of playoffs for then nearly six years. This was also the lockout-shortened season. The Thunder were number one at the West at the time, 20-5 and going into that game. The Kings were 9-16. and the Thunder starting five was scary. Russell Westbrook, Daquan Cook, Kevin Durant, Sergi Baca, and Kendrick Perkins with James Harden playing big minutes off the bench. For the Sacramento Kings, their starting five, Tyreek Evans, Marcus Thornton, John Salmons, Jason Thompson, and DeMarcus Cousins, Isaiah Thomas, rookie Jimmer Fredette, Dante Green, and Chuck Hayes, the main pieces off of the bench there. Sacramento got off to a great start in this game. They scored the first six points, and I remember each of those points the place just absolutely erupted. I was trying to find a good video actually of the introductions because Scott Moak, the energy in there, but I couldn't find one with good enough quality to play for you here on Locked on Kings. But I remember that entire introduction sequence was just wild and off the hook, especially when we went live on national TV. In the first quarter, the Kings held one of the NBA's most dynamic offenses at the time to just 19 points in 12 minutes. The Thunder shot just six of 16 from the field, falling behind by as many as nine points early. But the Kings weren't exactly scoring in bunches themselves. Sacramento was attacking the rim, but fell into the waiting clutches of a young Serge Ibaka, who at the time was known as one of the NBA's best rim protectors. Long story short, Ibaka finished the game with 10 blocked shots in 30 minutes, taking away a lot of Tyreek Evans and DeMarcus Cousins' effectiveness in the paint. However, to the credit of Kings head coach Keith Smart, he made some nice adjustments. The Kings continued to attack Ibaka aggressively in an attempt to to get to the foul line, and it worked as Ibaka ended up fouling out of the game and he sat out most of the fourth quarter in foul trouble. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let's go back to the second quarter where the Thunder offense came alive, scoring 36 points in that quarter after just 19 again in the first. I don't know if it was the energy from the sold-out crowd and the fact that the Kings were on national TV or the excitement of playing the best team in the West that night, but Sacramento was able to hang with OKC. They dropped 34 points of their own in the second quarter, carrying a small lead into halftime. It was one of those games where neither team really wanted to take the halftime break because of how well they were scoring in the second quarter, but especially not the Kings. As we know, basketball is a game of runs and momentum. 15 minutes of resting in a locker room often stops that momentum, especially when the opponents in the locker room on the other side of the arena are one of the best teams in the league. In this instance, Sacramento came out cold after the break, scoring just 19 points in the third quarter. But once again, the Kings adjusted on the other end, using their defense to hang around when the shots weren't falling. The Thunder scored just 23 points in the third quarter and took a small lead into the fourth. How many times over the past 14 years have we seen the Kings take on a significantly better team, hang around for most of the game, maybe even have the lead for a while, only to fall short in the fourth quarter when their opponent took control in a way that only great teams do. Sitting in the power balance pavilion that night, my voice was raw from all of the cheering. I was surrounded by my fellow Kings diehards. It was a wonderful atmosphere, but I felt that fear as OKC really took control of the first six minutes or so of the fourth quarter. The Kings couldn't really make up any ground despite Ibaka being on the bench. With 5 minutes and 56 seconds to go in the game, OKC's Daquan Cook hit a 3 to give the Thunder their largest lead of the night, 95-87. to 87. I remember groaning at that moment going, here we go. It's been a good fight, but 8 points of separation. This is where the Thunder slammed the door shut. Instead, for the Kings, the comeback was on, and Marcus Thornton stepped up in the big moment. Listen to this comeback, courtesy of NBA on TNT. Crossover by Evans, and punched back up and in by Dante Green. Not a lot of quick in these young Sacramento Kings. Now they've got to come up with stops here. Marcus Slark shifting gears. We the goal and caught the two. Did he take it through the backboard? And the Kings the other way. Who's going to make a play? Who wants to make a play? Who wants to put this team on their shoulders? We have the youngest team in the league. We've been wondering who was gonna step up for these young teams. DeMarcus Cousins doesn't get the three-point shot here. He won't get an assist, but it's the screen that allowed Marcus Thornton To be that wide open, it's those little things that help teams grow together. Now here comes Oklahoma City. They've missed their last five shots. They've been scoreless for the last three minutes of the game. Durant, right over green. Kevin Durant, he puts in his 27th point. Salmon slashing inside. Thornton with a three. He's knocked down two bombs! Marcus Thornton with 15 points! And the Kings have come back to tie! From that point on, the Kings would play the foul game were clutch from the free-throw line and defensively, they held their own as well, scratching and clawing their way to the 106-101 to victory, handing the Thunder just their sixth loss of the season. Tyreek Evans led the Kings with 22 points. DeMarcus Cousins added 19 and Marcus Thornton put in 15. For the Thunder, it was Westbrook and Durant who combined for 60 points. James Harden added 17 off the bench. For me, I remember going home that night and feeling like the Kings had won a playoff game. I actually had school the next morning and had no voice and was absolutely exhausted, but boy, was it worth it. While wins on the court were important, the real battle was raging between Sacramento and Seattle. Not only was that night a big victory over one of the best teams in the NBA, it was a victory for the whole city of Sacramento who showed people around the country and the NBA themselves that the fan base is still strong and that it would be a massive mistake for the league to leave California's capital. I'm not saying that this game was the reason why the league and David Stern, then NBA commissioner, decided to keep the Kings here. But what I'm saying is, that game played an important part in it at the very least. Do you remember that Kings win over the Oklahoma City Thunder? Were you in the Power Balance Pavilion that night for that Blackout Friday. If you were, let me know. Send me pictures, send me videos, all of that on Twitter at MattGeorgeKHDK via email mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. Also, be sure to send me your thoughts on the Corey Joseph performance evaluations. I want to hear from you, your opinions on that as well. Tomorrow, we will come back, have another player evaluation. I'll have my best game from the 2012-2013 season and a whole lot more for you. If you have the chance to leave a review of this podcast, best place to do that is on iTunes or Apple podcasts. If you could, that would help us out a ton. There are a lot of you that listen there, but haven't left a review yet. It helps us attract new listeners. Uh, it also lets myself and lets the podcast network know what we're doing right. And even what we're doing wrong. Feel free to use that as a place for constructive criticism. We are open to it. Hopefully you'll leave a five-star review, but it doesn't just have to be five stars. Be honest with with us let us know we would love that feedback from you big thanks to built bar again for sponsoring today's episode of the locked on kings podcast and i can't wait to speak with you tomorrow until then my name is matt george this has been the locked on kings podcast part of the locked on podcast network you are locked on kings your daily sacramento kings podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day